Welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. Well, it's an honor to be joined by the 2022 President Gerald R. Ford Award winner for the NCAA, Ann Myers-Drysdale. She's had a plethora of honors throughout the course of her illustrious career, and this is the latest one. She is currently the Vice President of the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury. She, of course, is an all-time UCLA multi-sport athlete, a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame, among many, many honors, and it's an honor to be joined by you. Um, this is the latest one. You've had an unbelievable career. What does this award mean to you as recognized by the NCAA? I was taken aback when I found out. I was pretty emotional about it, and still am, but uh, very honored knowing that the people that have come before me, uh, certainly two UCLA people, John Wooden, Papa, and uh, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, and to be the eighth woman, uh, knowing all those women that have been a part of receiving this award. I had the opportunity to meet uh, President Gerald Ford back in 1976 when all the Olympians were invited back to the White House, and then he would come out to UCLA, and then I even got to play golf with him when he came out to the desert, and he lived out there and um, played nine holes with him. This one among many, though, um, to be recognized going back to your time at UCLA, because there's been so much that has happened since then, obviously, in your career, the Olympics, uh, even just doing what we do as a broadcaster. Um, but what's the significance of this one going all the way back, in a way, being recognized as a college athlete? Just first of all, getting to college, uh, going through high school, did not have any idea where I would go to college. And I come from a family of 11 children. I have five brothers and five sisters. And my sister Patty, who's the oldest, probably the best athlete in the family, I went to Cal State Fullerton, won a national championship with Billy Moore as the coach there. And who knew Billy Moore would be not only my Olympic coach in 76, but then my coach at UCLA my senior year when we won the national championship. But uh, I remember my brother David, who was at UCLA playing for Coach John Wooden. Uh, his roommate at the time was Kenny Washington, who had played for Coach Wooden and won championships in the early 60s with uh, Papa. And so they were roommates, and they came home one weekend. We are at a barbecue at the house, and they came home and basically said, how would you like to go to UCLA on a scholarship? And so this was in 1974, and 1972, Title IX had just been passed, which none of us knew or understood what Title IX was. And it certainly was not a, uh, which it has become a calling card for women in sports, but it was much more than that, and it still is today. So it's important to keep this bill alive. And, uh, but I, I just, who thought that I could go to a school like UCLA? And so that's how I got there. And, and just being a student, I mean, I never really had, the only goal I had was a, as a young girl was to go to the Olympics as a track athlete. I was a high jumper and I ran track in the early days and uh, I dreamed of going to the Olympics because I saw Wilma Rudolph and Wyoming Atias and you know, I loved track and field. And that was the first time you saw a woman on TV uh, as an athlete. I read a book in fourth grade on Babe Diedrich and Zaharias, and that gave me that dream. And, uh, and then to see what Billie Jean King did against uh, Bobby Riggs, and just all these things piled up. And so going to UCLA was, was magical. It really was. It changed my life. You mentioned the word Papa. Um, if you can paint the picture for us, what was it like to be on that campus, because obviously now we view John Wooden as this iconic figure, but to be in the moment, what was that like? 
Well, he was so humble. He was tough. But you have to remember, we went to the UCLA games before I was there. And so as a family, we would drive up. Uh, it would be about an hour drive to get to UCLA and, and watch David play his games. And his freshman year was the last year they had the freshman rule in the NCAA. So the freshman games were really exciting. And at halftime, you'd see the, the uh, varsity guys walk in, whether it was Larry Farmer or Holly Field or Walton and so forth. And, and so you'd see them. And it was a time, too, where Hollywood stars were at the game. And those games were packed. Uh, Poly Pavilion held just over 12,000. But it was just unbelievably exciting to be there. And so even when I was in high school, I was going to the UCLA games. But being a freshman on campus, because of my brother David being a senior when I was a freshman, uh, I, could, I was allowed to go to the practices. So I went to my classes and went to study hall and so forth, the library. But then I would come and watch practices. Papa would let me watch practices, because our practices were on the uh, JV court, maybe start a half hour after the guys had started. And so I would sit there and watch day after day, repetition, the same drills, same drills. And certainly they would change things up as far as uh, depending on what competition they were going to go up against. But you know, it was all about what UCLA did and uh, the repetition. It just it was fascinating to watch. And uh, you know, they were the best. When you think back to that first national championship, the first for UCLA uh, that you helped lead, um, what do you remember most about that journey to that title? Well, I go back to my freshman year, and my brother David was a senior. The year before, UCLA had lost in double overtime to NC State, and uh, that was Bill Walton and Keith Wilkes' senior year, and, uh, and David was on the team that, as a sophomore that won the championship at UCLA. So his senior year, a lot of people have said that, you know, maybe UCLA doesn't win if they lose, if they don't lose in 70, uh, 74. But um, so a lot of people didn't expect UCLA to do anything. They had Dave Myers and Marcus Johnson and uh, Pete Turkovich and Richard Washington. But it was just there were other teams in the country that were being picked to win the championship. But I think that drive of losing the year before. So my freshman year, the high, high expectations of the women's team was very big. And we didn't get out of the regionals. And uh, Immaculata and Delta State were the big teams back then in the, in the mid-'70s and early-'70s. And uh, so my whole goal was to win a championship like my brother David had. And so really, my freshman year, the excitement was watching my brother play and watching UCLA win the championship in 1975. And it was in San Diego, which where was most of us were born and raised. And um, so it was, it was a great time. So my freshman year, we don't make it. My sophomore year, high expectations. That's also the year I go to the Olympics in between the Pan Am Games and so forth. And I'm representing the United States now, and so a lot of expectations. We don't go in my sophomore year. We don't go my junior year. And so I'm like my senior year, we start out and we lose like three games in a row, and I'm just devastated. I'm thinking, we're not going to get there again. Uh, and we were hosting, UCLA was hosting the Final Four. It was the first time they were going to have a Final Four. And, uh, but lo and behold, we had a, a team. Uh, Billy Moore had just come in. Her, my senior year, I had three different coaches. and. Uh, so my senior year, I got Billy Moore, who had coached my sister Patty, had coached the Olympic team. And uh, Denise Curry came to the team as a freshman, who was the all-time leading scorer at UCLA, both men and women, uh, with no three-point shot. And uh, we had really a great team that Billy Moore was able to put us together. And, and um, we had played Maryland earlier in the year, back at Maryland in, before a men's game. And so there was a, 
you know, my name brought a lot of attention because of my brother. And uh, so we had played before a men's game at Maryland, and uh, the crowd was unbelievable. They did not leave the men's game. They stayed and watched our game. And uh, it was a great crowd. We ended up losing. And uh, we ended up playing Maryland in the, the uh, finals for the championship. And, and uh, things were a little bit different. You know, I'm struck by a couple of things you just said that um, you practiced after the men or in the, the JV court. In Poly it? Pavilion. In Poly Pavilion. Um, so clearly, you know, which obviously was a sign of the times that the women's team was not a first priority. And we're still not there, uh, but we've come a long way. Uh, how would you describe that arc of where it was for you to where it is today and how far we still have to go? Well, you think this is the 50th year of Title IX, and I was the first woman to get a full athletic scholarship at UCLA. Now there's so many women getting scholarships. I think young women don't understand what Title IX is, which I didn't as a young girl. I think it would be wonderful if high schools, AAU coaches, college coaches, would go over that law to students and make them understand, both men and women, to make them understand how important Title IX is. So if you're a father, if you're a brother, if you're a son, to know that this could have an opportunity for your mother, your sister, your daughter, I mean, I think that you would want to support that. But in saying that, certainly there's been so much growth because of Title IX in helping women in sports. But it's still not equal. It's still not equal pay, that's for sure. Before Title IX, 78% of the jobs in coaching for young girls and young women were held by women. Since Title IX, 42% of those jobs are held by women. So men know that there is money in the women's game, and men are getting the jobs. Why is that? Why are more women that have played the game, that had the opportunity to play whatever sport that was, to come back and coach and teach? And so I think we have to do a better job on that. Certainly, I, I know that um, it's not equal. There's a lot of universities, a lot of schools that are still not in compliance of Title IX. And so it's frustrating, and a lot of women athletic directors still have to fight. And if you look back and before Title IX, there were two sports that basically brought in money, men's football, men's basketball. So baseball didn't bring in money, track and field didn't bring in money, water polo, gymnastics can go down the list for men's sports that didn't bring in money. So now the women come along and now they're supposed to have equal opportunity for a scholarship and the men are saying, well, you're taking that away from us. Well, a lot of those sports didn't bring in money in the first place. They all feed off of basketball and football. So welcome to our world. We're just trying to get what you already have. What was it like to be the only one, the only woman, uh, I'm sure in a number of situations in this male-dominated sports world? As I said, I grew up in a family of 11 children. I'm in the middle of five brothers and five sisters. And to have the support of our parents, knowing that their daughters could play sports, that it was okay to play sports. So being around my brothers and growing up with their friends, uh, heard terminology all the time, that you can't do that, you're not supposed to do that, you're a girl, uh, act like a girl, all these different phrases, but that never stopped me from trying, from playing, and yet I had the support of my family. My brothers, they would give me a bad time, but they, <clears throat> they invited me to go play football or over the line or you know, uh, pick up games and so forth. So uh, 
yes, there are situations where you can tell that you're not totally accepted because you're the only woman or one of the few women. And, but that never really stopped me in the sense that I go back to my high school days between my junior and senior year that I played on the boys' high school basketball team during the summer league. And I had every intention of playing on the boys' team during the school year. I played seven sports in high school. And uh, so I was a pretty good athlete, and uh, basketball was always a part of our lives because our dad played basketball at Marquette, and, and uh, so we were always around it. But in saying that, in high school, you're changing emotionally and physically, and a lot of people said a lot of things about me, and it really intimidated me. And so I did not try out for the boys' team. But yet it opened the door for me to be the first player from high school to be on a USA basketball team. So I, I always looked at one door closes, another one opens. But that decision not to play on the boys' high school team during the school year would impact me five years later with a tryout with the Indiana Pacers. And somebody gave me an opportunity. And I try and tell people, when somebody gives you an opportunity, why not take it? Don't look back in life and say, what if? I coulda, woulda, shoulda. And when this opportunity came along, and my brother David was already playing in the NBA with the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, I, it was the best physically, emotionally, mentally I was prepared to play the game. I had stayed amateur for the 1980 Olympics. I wanted to go to the Olympics again. I wanted to get my degree from UCLA. I was the number one draft pick in the WBL, the brand new Women's Professional Basketball League. And I wanted to play, but I wanted to stay amateur for the 80 Olympics. And then <clears throat> we had gone to the Pan Am Games, the World Championships, we won gold at the World Championships. And so we're getting ready for the 1980 Olympics. And I come back from Russia from the Spartacade Games and I get this call from Sam Nassi, who's the new owner of the Indiana Pacers. How would you like to try out in the NBA? So I was not drafted, I was signed as a free agent. And, uh, but I had a lot of people say, no, you can't do it, you're a girl, you're too slow. And, but when I made that decision, I looked back five years from high school, I said, I'm not gonna let people talk me out of this. Somebody obviously believes in me and has given me a chance. Is publicity involved? Absolutely. But I never looked at it that way. I never took it to that level. It's the media that, that took it to that level. Um, the owner, Sam Nassi and Slick Leonard, who was the coach at the time, they called a press conference when the decision was already made and Slick had come out to California to talk me out of it several times. Uh, this was not easy for him and it wasn't easy for the Indiana organization. Um, they had just come into the NBA from the ABA and now they're bringing in a woman to come you know, try out. But <clears throat> they had a press conference and I had no idea what a press conference was. So I was not prepped, not like today. Social media is crazy today and kids are so at ease in front of a camera. I was not, I was not. I was very insecure, very shy, um, did not speak very well in front of the media. And I had been talked about in a positive way when I was at UCLA because of my brother David, it was a personal interest story that the media took off with David and myself during those times at UCLA. And then when we won the championship my senior year, a lot of positive things were written about me and talked about the women's game was being talked about. And now all of a sudden I have this tryout and there's a press conference and I was being attacked. It was pretty brutal. And I didn't know how to respond to a lot of that stuff. But I knew that, that I had the support of my family and that I had this opportunity that I was going to take. And uh, it was a three-day tryout. We had two practices a day. And I was a free agent, came in like everybody else. And uh, it was, uh, for me, I thought I had played well. 
to go to the next level. And, uh, but it was very difficult for not only Slick Leonard, but I'm sure that the guys, um, the fact that, you know, if I may, uh, if they should block my shot, it's like, no big deal, it's only a girl. And if I made a shot, then it was like, oh, you let some girl beat you. And certainly I grew up with all that. I grew up with all the things that were said and, and how I was, you know, hand checked and so forth and bumped around. And it's like, it was not that big a deal to me. But to everybody else, it really was. And, and I think it was harder for them than it was for me. How much though, because this came after Billie Jean King with Bobby Riggs. I mean, how much did you look at that as um, a reason to say, you know what? You know, she took it on, she won, I can do the same. I did not look at it that way. Billie Jean, you have to remember people that when Title IX came, Title IX came about in 1972 and I was still in high school, and uh, Donna Dave Verona and Billie Jean King were very instrumental in starting the Women's Sports uh, Foundation. And I think that that was just as important in how it connected with Title IX. And Donna Dave Verona was from Southern California, and I was receiving a lot of attention in Southern California as a high school kid. And so she knew it was important to include me into the Women's Sports Foundation. And, uh, but I, th I think anybody that uh, a female gender, I don't care whether you're in sports or not, watched Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs and uh, how important that was to our society. It really was and it was just coming out of, you know, uh, the women's movement and civil rights and so forth and uh, uh, for women in sports, that was huge. I, I don't know if I looked at, um, I certainly didn't really know Billie Jean that well. I had met her, but I, I didn't uh, take that in the sense of what she had done with Bobby Riggs that now I'm going to do this with the NBA. I knew that my brother David was playing in the NBA. I knew a lot of guys in the NBA, played at Pauley Pavilion, a lot of pickup games, whether it was with Marcus and my brother David or, you know, Wilt Chamberlain and Mark Eaton, and we had all, all the NBA guys would come into Pauley and play, and I'd play in pickup games. Um, certainly pickup games are different than playing in the league, and I don't think it was so much being a part of the team as a player that um, seemed like everybody had a tough time. I, I think the the variable would have been if I had made the team, and you know that 9, 10, 11, 12 players don't play. The majority of the time, if you look at an NBA season, it's 82 games, 48 minutes in a game, and a lot of those guys at the end of the bench maybe play 48 minutes the whole season, maybe. Uh, so it wasn't so much about me being on the court. For me, I think it was everything else, the isolation, um, what the media would say, what the innuendos would be with the wives and girlfriends and how the media would probably, you know, spin things. And I think that that's the hardest part. To say that a woman couldn't play at that level, Diana Trossi, Candace Parker, there's, there's certain players that could be on those teams, but they're not going to play. They'll be that 10th, 11th, 12th man. Now you've got 15. Now you've got the G League and guys are going back and forth. So it's a completely different story from when I tried out. But in saying that, the, the competition of the social media and the social aspects of how men treat men, how men treat women, and what they say about women. And I think that that would have been the hardest part, is being isolated. And I bring it up because, to your point earlier, that it's knowing that point where, okay, it might be a gimmick, it may be for PR, but I don't care. I'm gonna take it on, and clearly you obviously took that challenge, whatever their intentions were uh, with Indiana, you obviously were not going to, you know, treat it as such. 
as sort of a, a one-off? Well, you have to remember, when I had my tryout in 1979, it was the first year of ESPN, and it was the first year of the National Enquirer, and there were a lot of media there. And even today, and even 30 years later, or 20 years later from that tryout, there was not a lot of video, and there still isn't today, or hardly any pictures. And yet it was packed with the media from all around the country. And um, I don't think that they really respected what I was doing, and even today they don't really talk about it as much, but, which is fine with me. And, uh, but I, I know, too, what I was doing, I was not going to put myself in a situation where I was going to embarrass myself or my family. And so that's why people had come to me about, let's do your story, let's put it in the National Enquirer, let's do this. I, I wasn't about that. My, tr my purpose was somebody gave me a chance to do something I love, and I'm going to take that opportunity. I'm going to take that chance. may not work out, but look at all the wonderful things that have happened because of that tryout. Then I go to the WBL and play in it the second year, and I win co-MVP of the league and understand how, uh, how to be treated as a professional because I think the league, the WBL, was treating us like girls and not as professional women. Where the WNBA is today, you have to give credit to the WBL and all those other leagues that started before that. And uh, I look at these women today in the WNBA and I'm so proud of the things that they fight for. And, uh, and they have a voice. Uh, certainly I, I know with my tryout and being asked to do all these different things, it, it, took, uh, it took about three years before I even, uh, during that time to write a book that people had kept asking me to write and I, I was just said, no, no, no. I didn't think my story was that interesting. But, um, but I realized too, I, I, you asked me a question about Billie Jean King and, and her, tryout, er, her playing against Bobby Riggs. So my tryout was, in essence, I look back now, was important for young girls and young women to say, we can do this. But I never looked at it that way. I was just kind of, this is what I'm doing, and I don't know what else, but somebody said, well, you're the Jackie Robinson of women's basketball. And I thought, that's too over the top. Um, my husband, Don Drysdale, played with Jackie Robinson, and so understanding who Jackie Robinson was, um, it was flattering, but I didn't think it was to that level. But because of that tryout with the Pacers, I go on to play in the WBL, I go to the Superstars and compete in that, win it three years in a row, and compete in the Men's Superstars, meet my husband, Don Drysdale, uh, get into broadcasting, and I've uh, been 40 plus years broadcasting, which is a profession that I never thought I would do. And it all started because of UCLA and taking classes at UCLA. But so many positive things have happened because of whether it was a tryout or the way I was raised, the family I came from, uh, being at UCLA, and just so many good things have happened. So at what point, when you were done playing, and now you're a professional, obviously, as a broadcaster, but at what point did you realize, I've got a chance to be impactful at this point in my life? I don't know if I've ever felt that way. I, I know as a young woman coming from a big family that how you act is how our parents raised us to be kind to people, to help others, and to give back. I've learned through sports that I've had the opportunity to do something that I love, but also know that you know, there's a lot of people that help you get here, and so you, you should give back. You always should. So to know that I'm impactful um, takes me away a little bit because 
growing up in a big family and people say, well, you did this, you did that, you're getting this award. And it is all very humbling to me. But being from a big family, when you have three or four other people in the family coming home and say, oh, we won our game or we got this trophy, we got that trophy. So you get lost in the shuffle. And uh, so not to say that what I did was just as important, but so did what my brothers and sisters did was just as important. And that support for them was just as important. So to have people come up to me, I'm very flattered and I'm very honored. But I do understand, too, that you have to present yourself in a certain way. And, uh, and again, I, I learned a lot of that at UCLA, not only from my family, but at UCLA, um, how Papa was, how uh, Rayford Johnson, um, you know, just uh, being with Special Olympics and a part of that, uh, being around Bill Walton and Kareem and Gary Cunningham, my brother David and Marcus and uh, Terry Donahue and Jim Bush and all the coaches, um, having Judy Holland as our athletic director, just these people that impacted me and how they presented themselves um, was very important to say that UCLA, as whether you're an athlete or a student, um, it just there is a sense of excellence. You're emotional. I mean, who, if there is one person or multiple people, who makes you feel that emotion as you talk about what you've been able to accomplish? My mom. She's 96. Um, she's still, she's got dementia, but you know, she's, she's been our rock. She's been my rock. She's gone through a lot in her life. And I've had a lot of losses in my life and losing my husband. And uh, we have three beautiful children. And, but to know that she's gone through so much and she's still standing. And um, so I, I don't have any right to complain about things that happen. And so you have to be there for others because you can get through it. And that's what's so great about sports is that um, you know, you have, everybody has adversity in their life. And uh, you've got to get through it because you've got to help others. We're only here a short time. And sports is a short period of our life. So when, especially men that are out of the game at 25, 27 years old, what do they do? You've been patted on your back your whole life. And that's happening to the women too. You struggle with who you are and what you're going to accomplish and do the rest of your life. And so you just got to give back. You've had an incredible team when I think about your life. Um, how much does that help you through unbelievable loss at times that you've had? And I don't mean your teammates necessarily at UCLA, but this team that has been with you at different stages. Uh, how has that helped you? navigate this? Just being positive. Um, you know, Papa was a huge part of my life, uh, even at, whether it was at UCLA and even afterwards. Um, I would go visit him a lot. And just the way, you just didn't want to leave his presence. Um, Andy, you've been around Papa. Mm -hmm. And you know that this was a man that lived his life as well as he could. And I'm thinking, how come I can't be better? I just want to be a better person. And uh, so if I can help others and uh, give my advice, um, 
or opinion. I don't know whether, whether what, which one is better or not, but um, just to have a support system. And certainly, as I said, my family growing up, that support system was huge. Um, when I met Don and in the broadcasting business, that support system was huge with him and the people that he knew in the business. And then becoming a mother and having that support system to help raise them with his side of the family, Don's side of the family, and, and my side. Um, faith, family, and friends get you through a lot. Um, we all have difficult times, but there's no question, I think, that sports is, you know, with, with the, the desire that you have, I mean, everybody should have a dream, but your dreams get fulfilled, and you have to continue to push forward on different things. And, uh, you know, I'm just grateful to be here today and to be able to to stand and uh, be proud of my three children, DJ, Darren, and Drew, and uh, the inspiration that they give me every day to get up and to be a better mother and, uh, and hopefully to be a better person to whoever I can touch that day. I just want to end with this because you are inspiring. You have had an unbelievable career, uh, the way you've contributed to just so many people's lives. The message that you'd want to send to young girls, to young college athletes who are following in your footsteps, what is it? Don't be afraid. You know, we all make mistakes. We all fail. That's what's so great about sports. You, you win, you lose. You make mistakes, you learn. You get better. And uh, I think uh, don't be afraid to try. You're always going to fail, but you're always going to succeed, too, and there's always another road to start you know, another journey on. And uh, <clears throat> you may fulfill your dream or you may not fulfill your dream. And whatever that dream is, it may take you in different directions. And all of a sudden it pops up. But you have to keep, every day is a new day and you have to embrace it. But I think when I, when I go to speak to uh, children or camps or, you know, uh, kids that are playing ball, and um, whether it's a high school level or elementary or, or college, even the pros, you just, it's, somebody gives you a chance, take it. Don't let people tell you you can't do something because you're all capable and you're all important on a team. And that's whether you play an individual sport or you play a team sport. There are people that surround you. And, you know, I, I tell it, just because you have five starters out there, everyone plays a part. And that's why in a big family, we all play a part in our family. And so you have to make sacrifices but go out there, enjoy it, and have fun. I think that we've lost sight of having fun, and, uh, but you've got to put in the work. You really have to put in the work in, in what you want to accomplish and also getting better. But basically, you know, you get a chance, take it, no matter what the outcome will be. Congratulations on this honor, this award, and I mean everything that you've accomplished and continue to do. Thank you for everything that you've done, uh, not just for college athletics, for young women, but for, for all of us that have been able to watch and follow your unbelievable career. Thank you. Well, thank you, Andy. I, I just want to say one thing is, you know, you asked that last, last question, but to follow up on that, in the business that we're in now, broadcasting, being one of the first women in basketball broadcasting, now you see so many others and so many women of color that are in this business. And uh, that was something we didn't see probably 50 years ago. And uh, to see where it's come because of Title Line helping and so many other opportunities in sports because of women. Um, you know, I'm so proud of these young women and how they present themselves 
and the opportunities that they've taken to get to that level. Thank you. Well, as always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where all our social series are archived again. Big thank you to Ann Myers Drysdale. Thanks for watching. Thank you.